This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swan's Crossing! that it's funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might be interesting to do, like, a serious take on it, but then who wants to come watch a serious play about... Uh, yeah, about those people? <laughs> yeah. Those people are terrible, you, you know? You can't really turn Noel Coward into, like, serious... No, it's... <laughs> and a, make it work, right? It's a bad choice. It's a bad... It's really, it's really upending the expectations of audience yes so. perhaps not in the best way yeah um speaking of audience expectations i would like to kick this recording session off with a little warning that i can put at the beginning <laughs> of this episode which is that uh this is a billy gun heavy episode which means we're going to be forced to talk about some unpleasant topics including grooming of children so uh if that's not something anyone feels like listening to a couple of knuckleheads make stupid jokes about maybe skip this one yeah yeah, and I think I would say that our jokes are fairly in line with how everyone feels about grooming children. I hope so. I hope no one is on <laughs> Team Billy Gunn in the 21st yeah. century. Yeah, jeez Louise. I also want to kick this episode off by apologizing to every single listener for how bad my audio has been for the last, I don't know, most episodes. <laughs> well, Listen, we are working during a pandemic with the restrictions we have. It is what it is. But today we're recording in person again, which yeah. we haven't done since before Delta happened. So Jeez. that's fun. Yeah. We're, yeah. All, we're fully vaccinated. We're spreading germs in each other's faces and not caring one bit. I got Omicron and didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So exciting. <laughs> My sister, like her kids got it too. And yeah. Only one of them had the sniffles, so hey! Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Yay vaccines. All right. Well, um, here we are. It's Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective, uh, coming to you live from the dawn of World War III. I might... <laughs> Jeez! It's gonna be a dark episode! I might edit that part out, depending <laughs> on how I feel in a couple days when I do oh. my edits. Oh, I don't man. know. <laughs> oh, Oh, what a world. But uh, it's nothing like the world of Swan's Crossing, thank no. God. Also, you are Libby Grant. Oh, yeah. I am Libby Grant. <laughs> and I am Nathan Kessler Jeffrey. Sorry, we're a little discombobulated, but with all the fires around nuclear power plants and all. <laughs> uh, just the minor things that are going on in our world. No big whoop. For those, for anyone listening to this 20 years from now, the, the invasion <laughs> of Russia into, into Ukraine has just started in yeah. the last week. So Yeah, we're recording this on March 4th for perspective. It's it's gonna come out a few weeks later, but uh, right now we're still reeling a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did have my book come out on March first, uh, which was terrible timing, and uh, I I uh, was joking with some of my friends who are authors that no matter how bad anybody's book launch goes, it cannot possibly be worse than mine. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's still doing pretty well despite the fact that uh, it came out right after World War Three came out. Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, if you want to read a book, uh, go read The Prophet's Wife by Libby Grant. 
Thank you. Woo! <laughs> That's my plug. My agent will be happy that I worked that in to my astonishing audience of 29 listeners. Ooh! We're going up. Going up. Going up. Heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we did watch episode 36 of Swan's Crossing. It was intense. There was a lot happening. Yeah. There was a lot happening. A lot of, uh, it was an emotional roller coaster for sure. Now, Libby, it's been several weeks since we recorded. What did I think was going to happen in this episode? Let us touch on those points now. You predicted that we would be back in the pool room again, or, or the pool patio, with Sydney and Garrett hashing out the deal about the birth certificate. That is a win. You're correct. Boom. You thought that we would get Mila and Billy Gunn action, perhaps explaining why he didn't show up to the party. That's a win also. All right. You predicted that you this would not appear in this episode, but we would get it soon. It would be more Barrick and Muffy flirtation. <laughs> that remains to be seen. You thought there would not be much JT, Glory, and Neil, if any at all. We did get a little bit, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you thought mostly the whole episode would focus on Garrett and Sydney and their interpersonal drama. I think that's mainly accurate. Yep. And maybe Sandy would come back, see them together, and get jealous. Or Garrett would use Sandy to make Sydney jealous. No Sandy in this episode. No Sandy. I mean, we do get mentions of Sandy, and it is real sad. <laughs> it is super sad. And finally, you predicted that the Baldy would go back into the bushes. Um, I'm going to give you that one because the Baldy was still lurking in darkness. He was lurking near bushes. Yeah, it wasn't specifically in bushes, but he was definitely lurking a lot. Also, at long last, my Baldy Inspector Gadget Lodzi finally came to pass. Finally, I'm so happy. Well, we open inside the sub. Callie comes out of the bathroom wearing a robe. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We gotta talk about the thumbnail. Oh, yeah, we do. Because there has been... This is the the another in a long line of extremely boring thumbnails on the ShoutFactory.tv uh, episodes of Swan's Crossing. This one features Sydney in her New Bronx benefit outfit in front of the changing rooms of the pool at the Swan's Club. She looks mid-speech, slightly pissed off, but that's Sydney almost every time she's on screen. So, not a lot happening in this thumbnail. It's very similar, actually, to the thumbnail from episode 35. I was very disappointed. Yeah, it's another very generic, like, Sydney close-up thumbnail. Um, but I do love her enormous headband. It is so huge. It is ginormous. It, like, if you look at her at certain angles, it almost looks like she's wearing a turban. Like, that's it, how big it mm, is and, like, yeah. intricate. It's, like, wrapped and crisscrossed. There's a lot happening there. It's very fancy. All right. Anyway, now we open in the sub. That's great. Where Callie emerges from the bathroom in a robe with her hair up in a towel, and the water has just been shut off because Captain Walker is about to leave Swan's Crossing. He grabs a map <laughs> to indicate that he is leaving. <laughs> And I, I immediately, my first note is, could it be possible that there's more than one place left? <laughs> oh, we get psycho music on Callie's stunned face as the captain says, prepare to dive. And we immediately cut to JT, Glory, and Neil in the cafe. JT is splatting. It took me a while to figure out that these were the gummy nudibranchs yeah. from the benefit. 
that they're using like those old like gummy hands yes. that you would like flick on the wall and they would stick and then you'd peel them off. Yes. I'm sure everyone listening to this remembers those damn things. They were the hot item back then. Um, I'm sure probably younger people, if they were listening to this at all, are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Mm -hmm. This was a, a big deal. Hot toy back then. Weird little gummy sticky hands, uh, like on a proboscis. I don't know what like to call it. Like a long gummy string. Yeah. And you would fling it and they would stretch really far and you could like whack people in the head with it from across the room or whatever. It was great. It wasn't. <laughs> Well, it was a thing. Anyway, I will say that. Anyway, he's smacking this onto the monitors of the cafe. Uh, and they are re-singing the Countess's Nudebronk song from the previous episode while enjoying what appear to be floats or something like floats. Oh, yeah. I think these are more Bugsy Malone shakes because they are being very loud and disruptive. Yes. As if they are extremely drunk. Yes, Bugsy Malone shakes. <laughs> uh, eventually, they laugh and reminisce about how great the party was. And then Glory scampers away and says she has to go home. My favorite thing about this moment, actually, is that Glory goes, I had a good time, and then just runs. <laughs> no, no, like, goodbye. No, like, I gotta go. No explanation whatsoever. Just leaves. And, and JT follows her over to where she is, and as the camera focuses in on them, there is this extra in the foreground, like, eating. Actively eating in the foreground for a hot second before they switch camera angles. It's beautiful. <laughs> JT tries to convince her to stay, but she cryptically says she has to run an errand. And then he's, like, bummed because they can't spend more time together because, apparently, the Booths had to drive Sandy home, which is an hour out of the way i am so confused okay it is established canonically that the bell sounded nine at the start of the benefit jt says when glory says she has to go run an errand that it's still early okay so bell sounded at nine captain walker talked for what seemed like an interminable length of time yes they had to drive an hour outside of their out of their way to drop off Sandy, who apparently has Garrett was just like, go home with someone else. Garrett. Right? And then they're at Swan's Cafe, which is somehow still open, and JT is saying it's still early. I'm so confused about the timeline. Let's if we assume Captain Walker talked for an hour and the benefit ended immediately after that, which doesn't which seem we likely know it anyway. Did not. <laughs> like for sure. But like let's let's assume. Then it is at best. 11 p.m. right now right. because they had to drive Sandy home. So just yeah. bear all that in mind as the rest of this episode plays out because it is bizarre. Yeah, bare minimum. All right. Also, what is an hour away in Swan's Crossing? Right? There's nothing that's an hour and away and still in Swan's Crossing. It's a tiny town. And also, the Swan Estate, like, used to be a freaking mansion at the heart of town. Like, come on. Sandy lives... Basically next door to Sydney. This is ridiculous. Ugh. I call no way. This is bad writing. Yeah. So JT offers to go with her. Apparently it's, quote, private. <laughs> um, this this errand that she has to run. Yeah, this whole it's private thing made me put in my notes. I think she probably needs to do tampon stuff. <laughs> and then I like how she just goes, see ya, and leaves. <laughs> I'm actively bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, JT wanders back over to Neil and they have this conversation about 
how much JT appreciates Neil because he'd never keep a secret from him. And Neil gets this incredibly guilty, stricken look on his face, which JT does not pick up on at all. I know. JT is so clueless because Neil is not hiding it. He's like, oh shit. And JT just keeps going on yep. and on about how great Neil is at sharing secrets. Also, there is something incredibly active happening on the monitors behind them. <laughs> it reminded me of like public television programs from the late 80s, early 90s where, you know, it was like math programs <laughs> where... Where two, two, like, fairly charismatic instructors would be talking you through how to do numbers problems. That's what it looked like. Oh, yeah. Do you Did you get, uh, speaking of public television programs of the 80s and 90s, did you get a show called 321 Contact? Oh, hell yes. One of my English teachers in high school was one of the hosts on 321 Contact. Stop it. David Quinn. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? <laughs> I My favorite, though, was Square One Television. Oh, I liked Square One, Square too. Square One was extremely good. Yeah, it was good stuff. MathNet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, just before this scene ends, it should be noted that JT whacks Neil in the head several times with a nudibranch. It should be noted. That should be noted, for the record. Yes, we want that on uh, record. <laughs> we see Glory leave Swans and Captain Baldy, who's the, how I'm now going to refer to this guy whenever he has the captain's hat on, is <laughs> uh, watching her from behind a newspaper as he sits on the outdoor bench. He gets up and follows her. At this point, I was wondering, he's gone into the benefit, like actually like into the benefit, is Swan's Cafe like Baldy Holy Ground? He cannot be on it like a vampire or one of the immortals from the Highlander. Like he's Maybe. just not allowed in restaurants. Yeah, like it, it's like how the Fae can't cross running water. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Also, I have in my notes, it's the same bench where Sydney once collapsed after running through a gothic novel, just in case we forgot which mm -hmm. bench it is. We cut over to a very depressed Sydney back at the Swans Club. She looks so depressed that I started she, to believe she was Sandy Swan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Garrett did transform her with his wizardry, that's, that's so... That's true. And there is this, as she walks to the table, there is this incredibly tense pause as the crickets in the background soundtrack play like a cacophony piercing the night air. I mean, it is it is horrific how loud these crickets are. Also, speaking of this being night, let's recall, if this is supposed to be happening concurrently with what's going on at Swans, mm -hmm. they have been sitting outside the pool, staring at each other across the expanse and getting all tense and depressed for at least an hour. An hour. Maybe more. <laughs> Holy cats. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> right? So the party's over, but all the decorations have just been left up and abandoned. The club is completely empty, except for Garrett and Sydney. There's still food out on all the buffet tables. Oh yeah. I no don't know no one cleaned up. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to a benefit, but there is definitely a crew that stays behind after to get things cleaned up. Yeah, typically. And especially if you host it somewhere like, you know, that has a staff like mm -hmm. Swans. Like yeah. those people are getting paid. They're going to clean it up. But yep. nope, not in this case. It's all just there. So Garrett asks if she's ready to deal and she says she's ready to negotiate. He says... Have a seat. And I was literally at this point wondering if they were going to redo the cucking contract. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
to to Dermot to Shane McDermott's credit, he plays this scene dead serious, yeah. like he is a lawyer talking to a murder suspect. It's so good. Oh yeah, it is really good. He is so on it, just absolute deadpan. And uh, we fade to commercial as Sydney sits down, looking and very worried. As as the snare drum goes in the background, like they're going to war. Yeah, it's like a military marching beat. It's great. <sighs> We come back, we have our theme music, and then we're in Mila's room. The elevator opens, and she leads Owen into her bedroom, thanking him for bringing her home. It is canonically established that Owen doesn't even have a motorcycle. How did Owen bring her home? Maybe he got the car again. Oh, that's right! That's <laughs> right, he does have the convertible. I got the car! Owen got the car. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Mila is wearing a very cute but simple white sheath dress, the one she wore to the benefit, of course. Owen, we finally see his entire outfit. It is as follows, from head to heels. Clip-on shades, enormous plaid blazer, graphic tee under blazer, possibly featuring Speed Racer, I couldn't really tell. Rust-colored knee-length shorts, white crew socks pulled all the way up, black tennis shoes. <laughs> this is what this man wore to the benefit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, was he driving wearing the clip-on shades? That's uh, Owen a real question. Oh, never costume. removes his clip-on shades unless Obviously. he absolutely has to for character reasons. One of my first, one of my first things that I love about this scene is Mila's first line, which is, "You're the first boy Mama's let come into my room." That's because we're friends. And Owen's Owen's response is, oh, with the crushed soul of a boy who knows he has been friend-zoned hard. Oh, poor Owen. Oh. But Mila points out that they're also partners, so that's good. And he perks up and says he's got a tape. It's Vision in Polka Dot Pink, the track to it, along with a lyric sheet all typed out. And he wants her to sing the lyrics over the tape while he plays it. Unfortunately, before that can happen, Mila's got to go get the shoe phone. Because the shoe phone is ringing at whatever time of night this is. Yeah, possibly midnight. Mm-hmm. And of course, it is Billy Gunn. Oh, God. There's so much wrong here, starting from the very first interaction, in which he asks twice if it's Mila and never identifies himself, which is a really, like, a, an intentionally anti, like, established contract. The social niceties meant to throw the other person off balance. Yes. Like, he just comes out swinging with manipulation and weirdness, and it's very creepy to watch. And, and I assume the writers wanted viewers to take this as like, oh my god, it's so romantic and it's so amazing that this rock star, like, thinks she's pretty and cute. But it is just so fucking creepy. This whole exchange is disturbing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he is apparently calling from London and wants to know that why he wasn't invited to the party. Right. Oh, and by the way, we're seeing this in a split screen. So you see Mila and, and Billy. And on Billy's side, behind him on the set, there's an autographed photo of Princess Diana. And also he's drinking tea, just so you know it's London for I, sure. I, it took me about halfway through the scene to realize what was behind him. And it is like, this. that note is in my notes in all caps. It's so funny. It's like, it's 1992. How do we indicate that we are in England? Princess Di. Yeah. Uh, Owen is behind Mila for the whole phone call, just sort of like waiting and hovering. It's hilarious. <laughs> So Billy and Mila launch into uh, inappropriately flirtatious chatter. And uh, at some point, Mila actually says Billy's name and Owen reacts. He's like, oh, it's Billy Gunn. 
And then Billy creepily asks Mila if she's been thinking about him. It is so gross. Ugh. So gross. I am not happy with this scene at all. Yeah, yeah. They they have this like back and forth about she's been thinking about him, he's been thinking about her. Ugh. And your real easy on the eyes love was really sort of the height of where I got skeezed out. Yeah, it's pretty gross. He mentions that he had dinner with Uncle Bobby last night, and Uncle Bobby thinks Billy should go back to Swan's Crossing to check out the music scene. There is no music scene in Swan's Crossing. It's just Owen with his Casio and Sandy with a triangle. It's not like this is Seattle during the sub-pop years. Like, come on. Uh, and then and then Billy goes, you know what I'm really interested in? Oh. And I immediately wrote, yeah, in my notes. I was like, yes, Billy, we do know what you're interested in, and it's a crime. Yes, <laughs> it certainly is. How was this appropriate? Even in, 29, even in 1992, how was this okay? Because you know what happened in the 90s? Jerry Seinfeld was just openly going and picking up his 17-year-old girlfriend from her high school, and everyone in the media was fine with that. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what the 90s was like. It was gross. It was super gross. I'm telling you, the 90s was the worst time to be a teenager ever. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, um, so Billy is coming back to Swan's Crossing so he can sex traffic Mila, and he does say that he's really interested in seeing Mila, and uh, he's supposed to be 21 or 22, right? Like, come on. Like, she's yeah. Mila is maybe 15, but I think probably still 14 at this point, because remember, her birthday party was not her actual birthday. Yeah. Uh, and Owen keeps trying to get on the phone with Billy, and I was like, let him, Mila, please. Nothing turns anybody off faster than talking to Owen. <laughs> She does say, oh, here, Owen wants to say hi, hands the phone to Owen, and Billy, like, rolls his eyes and immediately hangs up. It's amazing. The look (laughs) on his face when he knows he's getting handed to Owen is so good. Oh, it's so funny. Before listening to Owen's song, Mila has to make one call to Sydney. She gets her answering machine and says she thought Sydney would be home by now. And we get this lingering shot of Owen looking disturbed, and I was like... Is he disturbed that Mila's trying to get a hold of Sydney, or because Sydney is still out late? It's very confusing. It's anyone's why we're guess. This shot. And finally, we cut back to the Swans Club, which is really the heart of this episode. It sure is. Garrett is laying out a few points while he toys with a silver fork, and he says Sydney has no proof to dispute his claim that she's Sandy Swan, and she knows the story could be damaging to both herself and her mother, especially during a campaign. And again. I don't see why. Why would that be? Why would that damage your campaign that someone else switched your babies at birth? Like, that's not your fault. Come on. I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea why any of this is happening. I know. That's very odd. I can't believe. I still can't believe we have like 29 episodes of this show left. <laughs> Garrett uh, points out that Sydney is really in no position, position to negotiate. No position to negotiate. <laughs> I mean,. She might have dirt on you, Garrett. You don't know. That's don't possible. get too smug. You never know. Sydney's devious. He does make some conclusions here that that she was planning to use the cucking contract against him from from the get go, which I think I think is yeah, I think that's pretty uh, fair. It's not, uh, it's not a, out of the question. And the final the final line of the <laughs> of the episode is, or the this scene is 
don't think of it as a negotiation. Think of it as a surrender. And and there is this beautiful, like, <laughs> she has this, like, middle stare of, like, how, how scared she is. It's great. It is a great stare. Back at the sub, Callie asks if they really have to go now. Captain Walker says it's time. He needs to leave. He feels the need to be at sea again. I have to give it to the actor playing the captain. He has incredible conviction when talking about this nonsense. With like no, no understanding and no reason behind it. Like obviously he was just handed pages and he was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. He's, he's Bravo, a good actor. Sir. He's into it. He waxes poetic about many sea things, and then he says, I need to be cleansed at sea. And from now on, whenever I board a ferry, I'm going to say that. I need to be cleansed at sea. (laughs) Uh, I just, one of the things that he waxes poetic about is he wants to see a sea anemone waving its arms in greeting. And I want to acknowledge that to see a sea anemone (laughs) is not an easy thing to say. To see a sea anemone is not an easy thing to say. Nope. <laughs> you gotta use that for vocal warm-ups before... To see a sea anemone. <laughs> Kelly protests that she can't go, and Captain Walker says it's only for one week. That's it? That's all it takes to be cleansed at sea? Just one week? Well, I mean, <laughs> it depends on what sort of cleansing he's experiencing, I suppose. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe he needs to, uh, you know, pump the bilge, so to speak. <laughs> I think Pump the Bilge might have to be our, Pump the our Bilge. Title. I love that. I feel like it's been a while since I've had a title. Yeah, You've yeah. had some real bangers the last couple episodes. Pump the Bilge is a strong contender, though. <laughs> Callie says a week might be too late. There's some very cryptic... Bleh, there's some very cryptic back and forth. And Callie looks very serious in her head towel. And they seem to work out some kind of negotiation that Callie will stay in town, but no one ever says that. So I think someone just forgot a line, and I'm not sure who. That's entirely possible. There's one thing that Captain Walker says that's like, I see, it starts all over again. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's so confusing. He just, uh, he says she has his permission to do what? We don't know at this point because someone flubbed a line. Um, As long as she's not in any danger. Callie swears she's not, but we get the spooky doop, 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 doop music. Yes. And then my next note says... Holy fuck, we cut to a swan payphone. <laughs> we sure do. Behind, So Glory is on a payphone in the shape of a swan. And behind her is what appears to be like an exterior, exterior utility room entrance lit in a purple light. I, if this is somewhere on the set that we have seen before, they have really done a, job, a good job of like hiding what is happening behind her. Yeah. So we don't recognize it. Yeah, it looks like a totally new place that we've never seen before. Um, I think, however, it's supposed to be the entrance to the library, which, as we've already established, is in a spooky alley. That's true. Um, Because she is on the phone with her mom, and she says, Oh, I thought the library was going to be open late. Okay, so it's like midnight right now. Right? (laughs) She left Swans to run a private errand that she could not disclose to JT. Mm -hmm. And it was to pick something up at the library? From Mr. Han. What? Mr. Han, are you dealing drugs to the kids? Oh, shit! (laughs) Mr. Han's a drug dealer! (laughs) He is the smartest man in Swan's Crossing. He is the smartest man in Swan's Crossing. Also, no wonder Glory is so perky all the time. (gasps) She is heavily into cocaine. It's all making sense now. (laughs) 
Well, she carries on this conversation, which seems like a very flimsy script excuse for Glory to be out alone at night. And the silhouette of a baldy in the captain's hat looms on the wall behind her. She's gonna go talk to Callie for some reason. I think her mom asks her to go talk to Callie about something. Is that... Yeah, her mom asks her to go thank Captain Walker in person oh, for his right. speech. That's right. At midnight. Right, at midnight on his submarine. A speech that Glory's mom really didn't like anyway. Nobody liked it. <laughs> Uh, so Glory hangs up the phone, leaves, and the baldy comes into frame and seems to, like, pick up the, like, he, he stops at the phone for something, but we cut away before we see what he's doing. Yeah, did you notice when a person picks up the swan phone, the eye on the swan's head lights up? I did not. Isn't that incredible? That's fantastic. Also, the baldy checks the coin return for loose change, which I thought was funny. That's what that was. Okay. <laughs> We cut to commercial, and then we're back to the sub where Callie has finally put on some real clothes. Uh, she tells her father that she can handle this, whatever this is. He hugs her and tells her that he's worried. He thought we could settle down here, but there's so much commotion, and this is punctuated by, like, someone knocking on the roof of the sub. <laughs> but it's Glory! And uh, she comes down the ladder. She's delighted with the sub. Thinks it's the coolest thing ever. Which is really a very cute scene. It like is. Like Glory, Glory experiencing the sub set for the first time. I do want to point out, this is the first time we get a shot up the ladder to the hatch. Which is so much smaller than the hatch that we see on the exterior of the sub. <laughs> it is not big enough for two teenagers to stand in next to each other, nor is there a tiny platform on which those teenagers could stand. So, interior and exterior of the sub, different sets. Nathan calls shenanigans. I call shenanigans. <laughs> I call set shenanigans. This, this show was not made for binging. No, no, it's not. <laughs> the captain finds Glory mildly annoying, but kind of cute. Glory wants to see Callie's room, but he's literally about to cleanse himself in the sea and reminds her that he is about to leave, like, yeah. this second. So Callie says no, but that's just because there's no set for Callie's room. Callie invites herself over to Glory's house for the week. Yep, Glory's which, cool with this. Yeah. How? What agreement is it that the Booths have that Glory can just say yes without consulting her parents? For a whole week. For a week? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I had to ask my parents if people could come over to the house for, like, a play date or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't call them that then. No. Just, like, coming over. Yeah. Anyway. Glory does tell the captain that, that Grant Booth is going to make a huge donation to the Nudebronk Society, which is funny to me because the Nudebronk Society is literally just a shell organization the Countess set up, possibly to launder money, but mainly so she could get into Captain Walker's pants. Which is understandable. The man yeah. is attractive. <laughs> he is. He knows how to rock a cravat. Get over here, Captain Walker. <laughs> Then Captain Walker launches into this weird reminiscence about, like, his youthful days as friends with Grant Booth and the things they were, would do, which was, like, boy stuff, like going fishing with worms. But then he starts to remember things Glory should not hear. It's and, so funny! And he keeps cutting himself off. He almost says, like, naughty things about Glory's dad, and he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to talk about that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Callie goes off to pack, and Glory delights herself uh, more in the sub. And the captain remarks on how she's easily amused, and Callie needs more, quote, excitement and adventure. And as if, as if those are the two, like, worst possible things he could think of. And I was like, dude, you're home. 
is a submarine. <laughs> if you didn't want a life of excitement and adventure, you would stay in the old Walker estate. Yeah, for real. Seriously. Jeez Louise. Well, we cut to Sydney's answering machine again, and then to Mila, who's on the shoe phone. She's starting to get worried about Sydney, who still isn't home. And Owen throws this delightful hissy fit. Oh, Owen. He's just, like, it is so, uh, just like... <laughs> He's mad because Sydney's always, like, musically cock-blocking him with all of his music partners. <laughs> to be fair... Sydney does have a talent for interfering with Owen's rehearsals, no matter who oh, he's playing with. Abs- well, Sydney has a talent for interrupting everything all of the time. That's <laughs> her, her primary feature. Yes. We cut back to the Swans Club where Sydney is staring into the middle distance like she should be 25 years older with a cigarette held limply between her fingers as the smoke trails up to a bare overhead lamp. Look at you, Mr. Word Person over here. <laughs> she says with this with this hardened like voice that has lived a long life, you've got me between a rock and a hard place, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Garrett gloats. She tells him not to gloat. He continues gloating anyway. He does offer to keep this between the two of them. And Sydney says, the two of us? I remember when that sounded like heaven to me. Sydney, it sounded like heaven to none of us. <laughs> Zero of us. And then she goes, do you remember? And he says, yeah. And I was like, of course he remembers, Sydney. It was like two weeks ago in the show. In my life, it's been over a year now. <laughs> For fuck's sake. The dialogue in this scene is like a middle-aged couple getting divorced. It is, but then it also leads to my favorite lines ever in the whole show, where Sydney says, We were good together, weren't we? And then Garrett says, When we weren't being bad. I swear to heaven, it is like it is like the Han Leia scene in The Force Awakens. It That's, is. It's almost <laughs> word for word. It's kind of like that. Oh my god. Jeez. Sydney steps closer to him, trying to sway him with her feminine wiles. And she says, You still like me, don't you? Garrett admits that he does. And Sydney says she likes him too. And he says, Good, that'll make it a lot easier. And she wants to know what will be easier. And he says, For you to talk Mila into being my girlfriend. What? There is this psychotic, he has this psychotic smile, ominous music, and we get a true death glare from Sydney. It oh is amazing. Oh my god, it's so great. We cut to commercial right on that death glare, and then when we come back, Sydney's like, you're the cruelest human being I've ever met. She walks away from him angrily and then stops right on her mark for literally no reason. Garrett basically says that's the pot calling the kettle black, not in so many words. And uh, repeats his demand that Sydney has to get Mila to go out with him for reals this time. And he dangles the threat of life as Sandy Swan over her head. He is so self-satisfied and smug during this whole episode. It is delightful. Like, it's just, oh, prime, it prime Garrett. It is. Good job, Shane McDermott. Uh, Sydney begs him to pick anything else, including flossing his teeth for him <laughs> and oiling his be- baseball mitt. But he says it's Mila or nothing. As she's like griping about how hard this will be, he picks up a name card off of one of the tables and hands it to her. 
I'm not sure if it's meant to be Mila's card or if that's just... What even is this little bit of business? I think what was supposed to happen there was I bet it was supposed to... Because she, she later puts it down on the table and then like collapses behind it with her head in her hands. I bet there was supposed to be a camera shot that zooms in on the card and shows that it says Sandy Swan. Ah! But that never happens. Ah! <laughs> And which makes sense, given that his his line is, you have the greatest motive of all, fear. And there's this phenomenal, like, dan-dan music on the synth. <laughs> she collapses with her face and her well-manicured hands. <laughs> I love this. Finally, we cut back to the sub. Glory comes out uh, with Callie talking about how it's, Glory's talking about how it's just like having a sister and she's always wanted one. <laughs> the captain and Callie share a stare as the ominous psychopath killer music plays. Right. So I I took from this scene. So since we had our interview yeah. with uh, Stacy Mosley, we know that in season two it was supposed to be revealed that Callie has an evil half sister. So I took from this scene that like maybe Callie knows about her evil half Asian sister. Um, but we'll never find out. We'll alas. never know. It's we'll so sad. Know. It will haunt me for the rest of my days. Ugh. So we uh, cut to the Baldy, who is listening at the hatch of the sub, Captain Baldy up there, and this is this is probably my favorite moment so far in the entirety of Swan's Crossing, where Captain Walker lifts the hatch, knocking the Baldy in the head, and we hear this ah splash, <laughs> and then Captain Walker pops his head out and says. Funny smell in the air tonight. <laughs> we cut back to Mila and Owen. Uh, Mila's trying to figure out where Sydney is, and all Owen wants to do is play through their song, which I think is completely reasonable. He brought her back on his bike. It's the <laughs> least she can do. Or in the car, I guess. Uh, Mila tries dialing another phone number. We cut back to Garrett and Sydney. Garrett's laughing and sneering, and Sydney has her head down on her arms on the table. She asks how she's ever going to do this. And Garrett says, you have to, or else, or else your name won't be. And then the pager, pages, <laughs> Sydney Rutledge, please pick up the house line. So like, it is now midnight or uh -huh. close to it. Yep. The club is abandoned. No Ex one is cleaning up after this Except for the operator. Except for the operator, unless. Unless. Was this an early AI paging system, somewhat like Alexa. Maybe this is a rich people thing. Maybe it is. Mm. Oh my gosh, it's been ages since we've had a rich people thing. I know, but maybe this is it. Yes. Auto, like you had to type in the buttons <laughs> of what the name was. Sydney will not go get the phone, so Garrett answers it instead. And uh, when he hears that it's Mila calling for Sydney, he says, oh yes, put her through. And he gives the phone to Sydney who stares at it with maybe the best Sydney stare of all time. It's, it's huge bug eyes looking I mean, at the like, phone. Her eyes are so huge. And fortunately, we have a lot of time to enjoy it because this is the image we freeze on and roll the credits. <laughs> yes. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> uh, we had two new fake swans. We had the swan in the credits and the swan payphone. That brings our running total to four imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and just under 100, swan, 100 other swans. Oh my god. At 99. 99. 99 oh swans. Oh my god, I love this so in much. In 36 episodes. Why are there so many swans everywhere? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's unnecessary. Well, there's always one in the credits. Yeah. There's yeah. one in the, there's that one in the pool. Yeah. Unless 
that one episode that didn't have the credit song, <gasps> which was very distressing to me. Oh, man. Okay, who is our psychopath of the week? Uh, Billy. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's no there's no getting around that. I, I would say... I would say Garrett otherwise, but Billy is in this episode, therefore. I just, here's the thing that I don't understand about Garrett is that he has literally no proof. He, all he has is a forged birth certificate. And the confidence that he is able to take from this and play this long con is truly, it's impressive. Garrett's got swagger, man, and he knows how to use it. Lay your predictions on me while I type super fast. Okay, I think at least while Garrett is still there, Sydney is going to try to go along with the plan of getting Mila interested. So if, if we pick up in the pool room again, she is going to actually try and do it. Uh, eventually, Owen rage quits and leaves the Reznovsky house. <laughs> they never sing through the song. Uh, we get a scene of Callie and Glory in Callie's bedroom being super cute and Glory not understanding Callie's obsessions at all. Because I don't think they've really spent a lot of time together. The next time we see the Baldy, he is soaking wet. <laughs> and on a pay f- on a phone call with the other Baldy. Garrett has to have some kind of like contact with Sydney. So they leave. They don't end the episode at the pool. There's they they go their separate ways. It's a new day, and he, but he does like have to push her a little harder. So he he has to like they set up a new way to meet or whatever, so he can push her to keep pursuing Mila. Uh, we don't get any Billy Gunn in the next episode because he doesn't arrive for a few days. I also want it noted he says that he's gonna call her from the plane, which in the '90s was how you knew someone was rich because nobody <laughs> in the middle class could afford to call anyone from a plane. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Do you those, have any other, those, those are your final guesses. All right, great. Well, we will see what happens in episode 37 next week. Excellent. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swan's Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swan's Cross Pod. I had to think about that one again for a second. It's all good. It's all good. We're not very good at this. We're not. We're not great at this, and uh, we're not going to get any better at this point. That's true. Well, I will. I am going to try to have better audio. (laughs) Like, listening to myself irritates me. That's how bad my audio is. Listen, guys, we know we have bad production values on this, but it's a show about Swans Crossing, which did not itself have super great production values, so we're keeping it meta. That's true. What can I say? That's true. Until we meet again, may all your bilges be pumped appropriately. (laughs) We were good together, weren't we? When we weren't being bad.